Before we get started, I want to take the opportunity to talk about our partner for this podcast, BravoPay. BravoPay is a marketplace and payment platform for musicians and content creators like streamers, sports influencers, personal trainers, and, well, podcasters. You can create a fan page on their app and set up shop offering physical and digital products as well as premium subscriptions. It's easy to share your Bravo link with others on your social media so that, for the rest of you, can support your favorite creators. Check it out at app.trybravo.com. I'll also leave a link in the description. You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The 80-20 Show. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guests are Jason and Jeremy Burchard from RootNote. Their company, or specifically their platform, Coda, they tout as the nerdiest member of your creative team, which I absolutely love. Their platform provides insights into your data, such as your socials, revenue streams, and so on. Which, to be honest, we all need something like this. In this interview, we discuss how their company got formed, and even more importantly, why they created it. We also talk about what it's like to have your brother as a business partner, and the age-old question, should you do business with family? We unpacked a lot in this episode and is truly enlightening for anyone looking to build out their team. It is my pleasure to give you Jason and Jeremy Burchard. Hey, Jason. Hey, Jeremy. How are you guys doing today? Hey, Mike. Great to be here. Doing wonderful. Thank you. Doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So love talking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, good, because this is a podcast, so I would like to you guys to talk about things. <laughs> so um, I'm actually really excited that uh, both of you are on this podcast because uh, you both have an amazing journey to tell about where you're leading up to today. So I um, wanted to start off with um, both of you. Obviously, you did. Uh, I know, Jason, specifically for you, that you weren't going to necessarily go into the music industry. So can you talk a little bit more about what your original goals were um, before leading into RootNote? Yeah, um, so that, that's a great question. I basically kind of growing up, I, I was never uh, incredibly determined to do any one particular thing. Um, I know a lot of people have these amazing stories about how they've always wanted to do this. And they have these incredible stories about everything that they did to do that. And um, my, mine's pretty boring, honestly. I, I was, you know, kind of one of those people who was decent at, at math and um, in high school. So I studied engineering in college. And while I was doing that, um, I, uh, I got into the idea of, you know, doing consulting. And so my first gig out of, uh, out of college was working for a litigation consulting firm, which was really interesting. Um, I, I learned a lot. Uh, in a very short amount of time and got um, really good at uh, PowerPoint and Excel, um, which I always joke about. That's where, where I'm most creative. But um, yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those things where I, I just kind of went wherever life took me. And then um, about uh, three and a half years into my role at the consulting company I was working in, um, I was kind of getting to the point where I'd always wanted to go back to school um, for a master's degree. And so I uh, took the opportunity after I had a couple of years of experience of 
kind of real life work under my belt to go back and, and study again. And uh, I got to move to London for a couple of years, um, which was, was, was really exciting for me um, for, my, for my master's degree. I've always been uh, big on traveling. And um, while I was studying uh, management and business in grad school, I uh, had an opportunity to work for a social impact venture capital firm, which was just absolutely fascinating to me. Um, we were, uh, I was, you know, working as a, as a fellow for this, this firm and just meeting some really incredible people. Um, not only the, the partners and um, my, my boss, who's become a, a good friend of mine uh, since uh, then, but um, really working with some incredible entrepreneurs uh, who were doing some really fascinating things when it came to, you know, changing the world um, and, and also figuring out a way to, to make, uh, a, turn it into a business as well um, with kind of these social, socially impact focused companies. So anyways, it was a very long winding road um, to get to the music industry. But um, during my time uh, while I was working and going to grad school, I, I had to write a, a thesis for, um, to graduate. And I ended up writing it over the music industry because uh, I was always fascinated about what, what Jeremy was doing um, in Jeremy's career. Um, you know, one of the things that I did have an opportunity to do while I was working at the consulting company was uh, support Jeremy and, and his business um, as an artist just by being an, an angel investor. And so I had this really weird, interesting kind of backseat view as to what was going on um, in the creative industries that I was always really intrigued by, but just didn't quite have the opportunity to, to get into myself um, until uh, after grad school. Wow, you make my life sound boring. What do you mean you have a boring story going to London <laughs> and, you know, social impact venture capital firms? I mean, that, that sounds incredible. So, um, okay, so are you also a musician uh, yourself, Jason? Uh. Let's see. So I think as Jeremy put it, I can play enough chords to write a Ramon song. So, um, I'm, you know, I can, I've got the AEDG down, but, um, no, I've, I've always been, uh, appreciative of it, but I didn't get the, um, I didn't get the, the same kind of musical genes that, uh, that I think Jeremy did. So speaking of which, uh, Jer Jeremy, since you are the uh, the musician in the family, can you tell me a little bit more about your story? Yeah, man. So I think, you know, for me, obviously, I was always very curious about different instruments and was fortunate to have a mom who was willing to uh, let me pick up and, and put down and, you know, try different things uh, at different times. So started in viola, moved to trumpet, played on the drum line in high school, you know, um, picked up a guitar uh, pretty early, put it away because I sucked, picked it back out because, you know, I wanted to give it another shot and, and kind of that typical journey that a lot of musicians feel. Um, and then I, when I was in school at the University of Texas, I was studying writing and film. So I've always just been involved in creative things. And, and I was doing a, 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 you know, a minor in recording technology. And I had always thought about the idea of being on the other side of the glass, so to speak. So producing records, working with people in a, in a creative capacity, you know, doing videos, which, which I still do now, um, for them and, and just kind of like helping people get stuff made. And it wasn't until I actually met my current bandmate, 
Jenica in the marching band that I thought like, Hey, I, I think we got something here. We got something unique. So she and I started making music together and everything just kind of started, you know, moving on from that point. And so as Jason mentioned, you know, fairly early on in our career, we had kind of made a decision to take this alternative path to, uh, to, to our music, which was, you know, instead of necessarily going the, the label route and trying to make everything work in that way, um, trying to chase after those things, we we decided to form a company around our music and, you know, look at the possi- possibility of bringing in people to build something up independently. So as Jason mentioned, you know, um, he was one of our, he was our first angel investor and helped us, you know, pay for legal documents and, you know, create different sorts of um opportunities that really helped I think form uh, our current work and and kind of um, certainly the evolution from our first steps as root note to where it is now and that's just always been my lens is as the creative um, but someone who, who is still very equally interested in the marketing side of things and learning how that works and jumping into you know Facebook and Google ads and, and learning all about that and And as I mentioned before, you know, I went to school for writing and I've been a music journalist for for quite a while now. And so the ability to interview these people from, you know, low level hustling kind of like we were to to superstars and really selfishly getting to ask them questions that I wanted to ask as a musician. It ended up being the type of thing where everything I've done and everything I do even to this day with Root Note is through the lens of myself as a as a creative and my band moonlight social as um a guinea pig in a lot of ways whether it's you know testing out how things work with with twitch and and music or or these different companies and whether they're legit or not and and what they're trying to do and and how to just genuinely talk to um people about our company as a musician because because the truth is like we are our customers in a lot of ways, right? We are the people that we're trying to help. And, and certainly it's, it's much bigger than just that, but it, it is rooted in that, right? So that's kind of um, when Jason was talking about doing his thesis, we were traveling from Austin. Uh, we being me and, and Jenica, my bandmate, were traveling from Austin to Nashville pretty frequently to do writing sessions and just dive more into that world. And eventually, you know, he came out on a trip with us and started interviewing some people. And, and they were just so many questions about like, well, why, why is this how it is? You know, why is publishing, you know, such a different game from recordings and and why do artists give up this amount of percentage for this amount of, you know, um, money and, and, and when we had started, Spotify was still in beta. Right. And so we went through this massive shift in the music industry. And so all of these questions were like, we weren't getting great answers. So we kind of, that's kind of what ultimately launched our journey with Root Note and, and how we ended up becoming, you know, business partners on top of being brothers. Wow, that's incredible. And it's also nice, too, to hear that both of you had, you know, uh, one path that you were going in, but also had this interest in, in the other's interests. And that, it, so it became almost like a natural uh, partnership at that point in time to combine forces because of that fact that you both had interest in what each one is doing, even though you are both leading slightly different paths at that point in time. I think that's a really interesting point. And I, I think, um, I mean, Jeremy may have a, a different opinion, but I, I think one of the reasons why we work so well together is because we, we do have quite different skill sets. And I think we both kind of recognize it 
each other's strengths and, um, you know, weaknesses, because God knows I, I have those too, um, when it comes to creative. So I, I think it's one of those things where, um, we, because we were doing such different things in our, our lives, but we had this mutual interest, it seemed like it, it made a lot of sense for us to team up to try and do something kind of different together. So it's interesting because one of the things that you hear from time to time is not to necessarily partner with family or even friends for that matter, because you have a conflict of interest between your personal life and your professional life. And uh, so d- when you, when both of you were talking about com- um, partnering together for Root Note, were, did you have any doubts or concerns leading up to that point? It's funny you bring that up because one of the first things we uh, did, not one of the first things, but early on in our work as a company, we got invited out to do a trek um, with some of Jason's, uh, you know, former classmates, excuse me, classmates from LSE. And one of the guests was like a, basically like a founders conflict resolution specialist, right? A company that gets brought in to help founders and, and companies work through issues and yeah, he literally pulled us up as like the first example of like, yeah, usually nobody should partner with their family or their significant other or, or, or what have you. And it's interesting to me because to me, like it, if you're not able to be professional enough to separate the two, then sure, don't do it. You should know yourself. But to make a blanket rule about, your, you know, everybody's personalities and working with each other is I think it's a little... Um, it's, it discredits how much work goes into maintaining the different relationships in your life, right? You need to maintain your personal relationships and your business relationships, regardless of whether they're with the same person or with entirely different people. Like, it's all hard. And for us, I mean, certainly the fact that, you know, we're going to go back home and see our mom for Mother's Day together, it it makes it easier because we can talk about business in the airport, but we can also know that when we get back home, it's not about that. You know, it's about seeing our mom and, and spending the limited amount of time we have with her. So it's like, to me personally, um, maybe if we were always trying to like, you know, cook each other's meals or, or, or do the same thing that the other one was doing, it could be slightly different, but we fulfill completely different roles within the company and we're able to separate our relationship as brothers because like, that's just what you should be able to do as an adult. So, you know, I, I think to say you shouldn't partner with a significant other or with family is uh, kind of a cop out on how difficult it is to maintain any relationship in your life. How about you, Jason? Yeah, no, I, I think Jeremy um, nailed it on the head. I, I mean, so I will say whenever we we both moved to Nashville, we were we were also living together as well. And um, I mean, there, there were very limited boundaries. I mean, you do get in the habit of you know, when your business partner is not only uh, your brother and someone that you feel completely comfortable calling, you know, after hours to talk shop with, um, but also living in the same place, you know, I I think that you do have to establish times and and boundaries when you try and um, not work. And and quite frankly, like I, I struggled with that early on too, um, where, you know, just setting times where um, we kind of respect each other's time to, to not interrupt them whenever they're, they're working and doing things. Like, for example, uh, generally speaking, we try and treat Wednesdays as a, a primary day for Jeremy to work on a lot of his creative projects. And I've 
I'm not great at it, but I'm trying to get better at respecting those boundaries because um, it, it's important to have those for, you know, long-term sustainability because, you know, we, we've been working on this company and, and have pivoted, um, you know, and it's taken a couple of years. And if, if we're going to be truly successful in the way that we think that we can and we want to be, um, it's not just years, it's, it's decades that you're talking about, you know, building something and working together. So, yeah. Um, you know, as far as any of like, like major, almost like meltdown issues, you know, because we're brothers, I don't, we, we haven't had anything like that. Um, and I, I honestly, like, I think whether your family or not, you have to treat whoever your co-founder or business partner is with the, the same kind of seriousness as you would treat somebody that you were going to enter into any type of long-term relationship with. And so I, I think, you know, knowing each other for, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know, 28 years before you start a business together has, has a lot of pros as well. I, not to put you on the hot seat, but, but I mean, do, do you have any specific opinion on this based on your experiences? Oh, yes, I do. So on many, on many counts. So uh, for the most, uh, so first of all, my parents are both entrepreneurs and they've been business partners for a very, very long time, um, basically ever since I was born. So um, they've been basically business partners on multiple businesses, not even just one. And I see how it works. So and this is a husband and wife team up um, and they were able to make that work. I also, for 12 years, worked for them, and I did technical support. In fact, I did that for quite a long time while I was building 8020 Records. I was, that was my full-time job, was doing technical support for their company. So that entrepreneurial lifestyle, I knew all my life. And I also knew what it was like to have, you know, to have parents that were both business partners. But in addition to that... My own brother, this is what's so funny. My own brother was a business partner of 8020 Records for a while too. So I also know what that is like to literally have your own brother be a business partner in your own venture. And uh, unfortunately with us, it didn't work out. So we actually were on the other side. Now, in hindsight, and in fact, anybody who's listening right now, I do interview my brother in a previous episode. So if you're listening to this right now, you should definitely take a look, uh, listen, because in that episode, we do go really into depth about that entire story about why we decided to partner up together and what happened during it and afterwards and so forth. But the short story is that we didn't communicate correctly with each other and it almost ruined our relationship as brothers because of it. And fortunately we were able to repair it afterwards. And now our relationship is actually stronger than it ever has been. But, uh, but we did have some, some issues communicating with each other and everything that you mentioned are the mistakes that we made back then. We weren't really respecting our boundaries with each other. And it ended up that all we were discussing was the business and didn't make sure that we took the time to speak, to spend with each other in you know as brothers and just hanging out and having a, a good time so that was something that we we've learned but i will say that despite those things that that blanket statement that you should not work with family is a bunch of bull crap <laughs> because i don't think that's the case at all i think that there are some people that you can work well with and there's some people that you cannot work well with and that can include family that can include friends that can include acquaintances in general. 
There's just some people that you can, there's some people that you can have an amazing personal relationship with, but you just can't work together. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's just like, you just have to know yourself, right? And you have to be honest with yourself. And if you think that, you know, you're getting in an argument all the time with your co-founder, who's also your brother, because of that one time you were both, you know, 12 and he got the last cookie and blamed it on you or broke something and blamed it. Like you're, you're kidding yourself. Like that's not the issue. And if that is the issue, that's more about you than it is about them. So, you know, there's just, I think it's just about being honest and yeah, we have, we have cousins who kind of similar to you, they were business partners and luckily everything is great now, but they had some really rough moments too. And it's just like, I think that's just part of building a business no matter what, you know, and, and hopefully you can do what you guys did and come out on the other side stronger and also recognizing we weren't great partners, you know? Right. And, and in that specific way too, right. It's like, that's the other thing too, is that sometimes you're, you have different perspectives on things. And if you can't meet in the middle of what your vision was, again, it doesn't matter if you're family or not, it's not, it's not going to necessarily work out. Now we work well together. Like if we need to collaborate or, or on something, we don't generally don't butt heads. We'll usually we'll come together. It was just that at that point in time in both of our lives, we weren't where we're, we weren't in sync about what we wanted out of that partnership. We really weren't honest, and we've we discovered that afterwards that what I was looking for out of the partnership was different than what my brother was looking for, and that's why we butted heads a lot. That's why that we weren't really communicating much. We didn't really know how to approach it with each other, and fortunately now I have no problems in doing so um, in general to people. So again, it was a great learning lesson because of that reason. But again, it had nothing to do with the fact that he was my brother. It had everything to do with the fact that I was not communicating clearly with my business partner and neither was he back in return and had everything to do with communication and nothing to do with about family. Yeah. Well put. So, all right, let's talk about more about uh, root note then. So what came across the idea of uh, specifically about root note? What, what made you decide that that's what you wanted to create together? So the, the short answer is that kind of going back to when Jason first uh, invested in the band as an angel investor. We went through all the the contracts and, and talking about the language and really learning the ins and out. I learned a lot about investment. He learned a lot about revenue streams and, and music industry and, and just the general types of things that, uh, you know, emerged from that. And so the initial phase of Root Note was let's, let's create something that feels more equitable. Let's, let's make this relationship between an investor and a creator, um, feel fair is kind of a cop out of a word, but, but feel fair. If it, if not fair, at least everything on the table outlined, underlined and in writing, right? So let's make this relationship something that feels common, something that doesn't feel like it's locked in forever and something where everybody knows what they're getting into because very rarely within the creative world, whether it's music or film or anything do, you know, does one side benefit from uh, making sure the other side knows everything that's going on, right? It's always been a question about uh, withholding information. So we we first entered into this in a way that was like, let's not withhold any information. Let's make this a very genuine partnership. And from that relationship, which ultimately we spawned into this new company, uh, not new company, but a new product, a new iteration of the company, which is how can we help people with that concept of transparency, of financial accountability, of growth, of all of the things that are necessary to be a business creator, 
but in a way that makes sense for people who whose primary business is content, right? So music, video, podcasts, um, game, streaming, all, all that kind of stuff. It, it's all tied into this general um, field of just content creation. And so that's kind of the short answer is that, you know, we, we learned by doing, and, and even now we're still learning by doing. The, the first, you know, very first uh, product was based off of all these spreadsheets and information that Jason was using, tracking the artists that we had entered into financial relationships with, right? Like helping them understand things and tracking them manually and being like, this really sucks. <laughs> like there's got to be an easier, better way to do this. And so that's kind of what it spawned from. And then we were talking about what can we pull in and can we use these spreadsheets and what about people who, you know, stream and all this stuff. And so we started using Moonlight Socials logins and, you know, PRO memberships and stream stuff. And, and it, it's just like it was a very organic but intentional uh, evolution, I would say. Anything yeah. you want to add to that, Jason? Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, um, I think, you know, it's funny because if you would have asked me three years ago, I would have told you that we were never going to be a technology platform. I, we I said think that I, out loud multiple think, times to yeah, each other. Yeah. Um, and we were like, no, well, no, this doesn't make sense. We're not a, we're not a tech company. And then finally we just, we had the, the realizations like, well, we actually, we are a tech company. We, we have to be a tech company to, to do this. Like, and, and so, um, it's really interesting, you know, I, I would, and what I would say to anybody who's, um, you know, building their, their business is, um, you know, you can say never, but um, I, I just, I wouldn't expect for things to stay the same, or I wouldn't expect for them to be as you uh, expect them to, just because, um, you know, things change and you learn so, so much in this kind of journey. Um, because if you had all of the answers, then you, you wouldn't go from being a, you know, budding idea to a startup to a business, you would just go straight to being a, you know, multi-million dollar business, right? Um, so it's all about the journey of, of getting there and, and where we landed. Um, I'm actually incredibly excited about um, because I do believe we have an opportunity now to do something that is truly game-changing um, for creators who, who want to build businesses. And, and I think that the industry is just growing where um, with the, the nature of work and how people are, are changing and the, and the types of jobs that people are doing now, that they have more flexibility and, and time to focus on things that they are passionate about um, and, and really want to um, kind of grow, you know, whether that's their um, YouTube channel or their podcasts or their blogs or their music career. And uh, so I'm super excited about the direction that the creative industries are going. And I think that there are going to be a lot more incredible creators in the years to come to emerge out of um, kind of the, just the transition that we're seeing in general and work. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, like the pivot that we made, you know, that we said we would never do, what it really comes down to is we had a conversation about like the ultimate why, like why, why did we start this in the first place? What is the, what's the thing that we really want to do, right? Is it build a, a company that could become very valuable? Well, there you could do that in a lot of places. For us, it wasn't anything related to that. It was, we want to create the opportunity and the equity for creators. We want to empower creators, right? It was a very, it's a very generic ultimate why. And so then 
we realized that one of the big roadblocks to doing that in our initial model was the ability to scale out to more people and the ability to continue to give them the time and effort and energy that they would need, which I'm sure you can resonate with entirely as a record label, you know, uh, to, to, to do that for them. And so we realized that we have the opportunity to make our ultimate why um, reach a lot more people if we fully embrace the pivot. And so we did. I 100% agree. In fact, it's funny you mentioned a lot of what you're talking about res- really resonates with the reason why I created A20 Records. And in fact, my previous partner, business partner, which is one of my best friends, uh, we started together. And that was kind of the whole thing was the why of why why to create this. And the re- originally why we created A20 Records was we wanted to create something that empowered artists that was creating an environment that was fair transparent and safe for art not only just artists but also for their fans as well that was always the core competency which is still true today for 80 20 records are those main things so i totally get it but again same thing is how do you now scale that because of course we give 80 percent of our royalties back to the artists hence the 80 20 rule and so how do we make sure that we not only can we um you know, how do we maintain that as a company? Like, how do we give 80% of what we're making back to the artist? And how do we make that 20% count for us and make that 20% that we gain far more valuable to the artists than what we're receiving from that 20%? That's always been our goal. That's always been our challenge. And that's always something that we're trying to improve upon is how, what else can we do to provide more value and what else can we do to be more efficient internally to get more out of that value that we're getting? Yeah. Very cool. So yeah, I, I totally agree. But of course that is not an easy statement to make (laughs) um, on any level. So I know there's been so many challenges and roadblocks along the way. So I'd like to talk more about um, of course now, you know, Jeremy yourself being an artist, you can, understand this perspective but for both of you what were some of the uh challenges when you decided to pivot to offer this to creators in this case specifically artists what challenges did you come across uh collaborating directly with artists and uh artist representatives yeah i I think one of um and so this is this is true both for the original business model which was effectively um being a financial partner with artists and their teams and and even now with a a software model is that there are a lot of different stakeholders involved and you really need to understand and you really need to dig into the the problem that you're actually solving and whether or not that stakeholder actually has that problem because depending on whether or not you're talking to somebody who is on the creative team or the digital marketing team or the financial team you're going to have very different sets of challenges and so i think um this is true today, just the, I think one of the biggest challenges is just really understanding what problem you're actually solving and for who um, and making sure that any conversation that you go into, you're, you're willing to kind of sit down and, and listen um, because it's just right now, it's, it's about constantly learning, I think, from, from the different stakeholders that we're talking to. And um, with that in mind, I think understanding that you can't be everything to everyone and you have to figure out exactly, okay, who, who are we really helping right now? Who are going to be those early adopters of the product? Because that is the, 
pain point that we are most clearly solving and addressing. And then realizing that in time, you know, you can grow into helping others. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my answer. How are yeah. you, Jeremy? I mean, absolutely. When it comes to, you know, specific uh, people and, and dealing with specific teams, obviously one of the, the great double-edged swords of the entertainment industry is the types of personalities it attracts. So you have to be very willing to embrace personalities of not just artists but of their teams and, and also grow really thick skin. Uh, I think one of my strongest traits as a creator and as you know, somebody coming into this company is I have by far more than anybody else on our team been rejected, just <laughs> caught, just beat down constant, you know, which any creator can completely resonate with just no after no. And, uh, and so the ability to, to take that lens and, and recognize that when you apply it to, you know, artists and, and customers and people that you're talking to and teams and representatives, it, you just, you, it helps you put perspective. It helps you appreciate the yeses. It helps you really lean into the people who lean into you. Right. I think that's a, a huge thing. Um, just in life in general, we can tend to, you know, you can have five people come up to you and, and tell you that, that you're great and what you're doing is helpful. And then the sixth person says, I don't see how this is helpful to anybody. And you're sitting here going, here are the five people who just thanked me for helping them. But mentally, I'm just like laser focused on this one dude, you know. And so I, I think that um, that all creators have at some point in their lives and some core being of themselves uh, learned to to really appreciate the, the small victories. And so dealing with teams, dealing with artists, dealing with those types of personalities, I think just reinforces that constantly. Um, and really reinforces us embracing the people who embrace us back, you know? I totally agree. And, you know, we do, we're just creatures of habit in this way that we tend to focus on those rejections, the, the people that aren't interested in us, because we always ask that question of, well, why aren't you interested in me? What is it that, that isn't, and that's just human nature in general. It's like, why aren't you attracted to what I'm doing? Or why aren't you attracted to me? And we get obsessed by those things. When in reality is that we don't know, we ultimately will never know truly why. Maybe it is, maybe it's something about us. Maybe it has nothing to do with us. Maybe it's just Maybe they had them. a bad breakfast. <laughs> maybe they had a bad breakfast. Maybe they're just not in the right mindset. Maybe they're just depressed. Who knows, right, why they make that decision. But you won't ever know that true answer. So it doesn't really help to mull over those things of when you get those rejections. It's best to, you know, maybe try to find out why if you can, but otherwise you know to see how you can prove upon yourself but otherwise move on if you can't get that answer just move on and you're right sometimes some people will get it and some people will not yeah. you can't you know jason made the perfect point before is that you can't please everybody it's impossible you cannot please everybody so find who who are the people that really appreciates what you're doing find the people that really believes in what you're trying to say um, whatever that might be and what you know, what your mission is, what, what is your messaging? And there's no question that if you are genuine and authentic about who you, you know, who you are and what you're creating, you will find other people that will resonate with you. It's just a matter of finding out where they are and how many yeah. of them are there. Totally. So 
cool. Um, then I guess the only thing else I like to talk about is just um, you know, is there anything else that you guys want like to talk about? Do you want to talk about uh, Rootno? Do you want to talk about um, because I actually finished my questions here for change. So um, is there anything else that you guys would like to uh to discuss about Rootnode or just even the future of the music industry? Yeah, I, wow. so yeah. um, I I am I am very excited and optimistic about where things are going. I I think that we're in this really weird stage right now where we have kind of come to understand uh, what streaming economics are. I think we've kind of we're we're learning about you know effectively the the new system for for building a brand as a creator and i am very excited about just the number of tools and platforms that we're seeing emerge that i do believe are going to empower creators to kind of build their own and run their own d2c direct to consumer businesses you know there are new revenue platforms there are new platforms popping up every week that help creators um monetize uh and, and generate revenue off of people who want to support them um you know i think it's exciting to talk about what's going on even in um kind of some of the web 3.0 spaces you know i think we're still early uh in in some of those different applications but i think that any creators who embrace the fact that they can't be everything to everyone but they can be something to a lot of people who want to support them, um, that there is going to continue to be this growing, what do you, whatever you want to call it, middle class or, or long tail and of creators. And, and I do think that, you know, um, labels will continue to exist. And I do think that there will be, a, you know, a few um, kind of select uh, superstars or mega stars. But I also believe that there's plenty of room for all kinds of creators. Um, and that's what I'm really excited about is just the ability for creators to, to do what they want and hopefully make enough money to transition from being, you know, a, a hobbyist to part-time to full-time. I think it's cool too, to see, especially within our early customers, but also just within me and my friend group and my peers and the musicians that I talk to, like there used to be this stigma that, you know, like creators just want to create artists just want to be artists and they just want to go into a room and make something. And, and, and that is certainly true to an extent, but it's also really pejorative to assume that you can't do both or that you wouldn't want to do both. And, and, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was hard to, as an artist, like maintain and understand your business. And as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, like there's a cottage industry around making sure an artist doesn't actually know what all their business is and what they're doing. And so now we've gotten to a stage where certainly part of our mission as a company and, and with, with Coda, the, you know, what we're building is to make it easier to just simply understand these things instead of having to have, you know, your full time uh, accountant helping you do stuff. People, this middle class of, of musician can do it themselves um, or content creator in general. And, and a lot of people are, are willing to care about that, right? They're willing to look at data and to say, oh, you know, this is weird. Like I'm doing really well here and I haven't put that much energy here, but all these things I'm trying hard at, I'm not doing as well. So maybe I should spend more time over here. Right. And like, that's something that I think is really cool. And I think that, um, to like Jason's point, you know, there, there are platforms that are helping people monetize all the time. And I think we're certainly seeing more and more people shift 
their focus to instead of trying to be the biggest thing in the world to appreciating the fact that they can have a career with, you know, a, a few hundred people who just love and support them. And if you make it available for them to do that, they will, right? Like that's always the thing. It's, it's like if you give them the opportunity to support you, whether it's through a recurring fan club model or through live streaming or through buying, you know, bonus merch or whatever, like they'll do it. And so there's always the possibility of, of being that big thing, right? There's always the opportunity that you could become that, you know, bright shining star in the sky that you always wanted to be. But you will never get there if you're constantly just staring at all these other stars and thinking that, that like, man, one day I want to be that. It's like there's so many things here on earth that you can do to, to really be fulfilled and satisfied that don't negate the possibility of getting there one day. So I, I think it's cool to see how many more people are leaning into things like live streaming, who are leaning into things like, you know, fan clubs and and being open with their art and sharing demos and things that people didn't used to do. They used to be very guarded and protective. And it's like, you can't be precious anymore, man. People aren't like, there's just so much stuff out there now that people want you, right? There, Nobody's waiting on like a song that from an artist they've never heard that's coming out in six weeks. They want to get to know you. So give them you and you'll be really surprised um, at how supportive they are in return. Oh, 100% agree on all, all fronts. Uh, wow. Okay. So there's a lot of, uh, to unpackage here. So I totally agree with you. I'll start with what you just mentioned, Jeremy, is you know, with all of our artists right now, that's when any, anybody's asking me a question, even, whether it's our own artists or just ours in general, asking for overall advice. I tell them all the time now is you have to keep on releasing content. And that can mean lots of different things because some people get overwhelmed when they hear that. Like, oh, my God, I have to like post on TikTok like every single day or, you know, or twice, you know, four times a day. And I have to do live stream thing and I have to do this and that. And it can get very overwhelming because they say, well, and am I supposed to be a musician? Am I supposed to be an artist and actually make music? But I have to do all these other things, too. And I tell them is that these are tools. It's not. You don't you don't have to just jump on the latest TikTok trend or live stream because you have to live stream. Find what what resonates with you, what works for you. What do you enjoy doing? Do you like to do live streaming or don't you? Do you like to do TikTok videos or don't you? You don't have to. You can do you can tr- and you could and what that actually means can be completely different for you, right? So, what are ways that you can extend instead of looking at it as how do I like put you know try to fit my square peg into this round hole that's not working you know well where's your round peg that you can put into there what is something that you really like to do do you like to do live stream performances great do you like to engage your audience in that way do you like making random funny videos do you like making educational and inspirational videos do you like not like making videos at all do you rather do something like that's a podcast like this for example right there are so many things that you can create as content and you are a creator. So you should have it revolve around your craft. So you should make these platforms work for you and you don't work for them. Yeah. Agree completely. It's so, yeah. it's so easy to get burnt out mentally on, on looking at all these different things when it's just like, just find the thing, find the thing that you love doing that complements the other things that you love doing and recognize that you can, make that part of your business, you know? Exactly. 
Yeah. If you don't enjoy the journey of getting to wherever you want to be, you're going to be very unhappy. Right. There's, I tell, I tell them there's so many other things you can do that you can make a lot more money at than making music. So, you know, if you're going to do it, it's out of passion and you can make good money from music too. And that's the other misnomer that I hear a lot is that if you're in it to make music, then you do it for the love of it. I I think that you can definitely have your cake and eat it too. You can completely do that. You can certainly make music and make good money making music. It just comes down to what that is. And honestly, even these days, I I mean, I encourage this to all artists anyway, is you should develop another technical skill of some sort that you can also utilize for yourself. So that could be anything from audio production to graphic design to photography to videography to, you know, to programming. There's so many things out there that you can develop a skill for that not only will help your career, but that's something else that you can get hired for, whether that's a full or part-time job or freelancing or anything along those lines that can help support your music too. I think, Jason, you mentioned this before too, is the fact that, you know, especially these days is that you can be just happy having several hundred fans and that are supporting your music. And that may be just one avenue of where you make your money these days and that you have something else completely different that, um, that may or may not be synergistic, but something else that you still enjoy doing, but has nothing necessarily directly to do with music. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And, um, no, absolutely. And I think the, the important thing, uh, to remember about all of this too, is that, um, you you know, you can create incredibly high quality content if you learn a lot of these skills and and distribute it now for um, free in some instances. Um, So I think the expectations too are that um, you are capable of delivering high quality content at a cost and it does require you to learn you know, new skill sets. Uh, it's the same thing in the startup world. You know, it, because of so many different products and platforms out there, you can go out and you can build an MVP or you can build a product or a prototype for a fraction of the co- of, of what it used to cost to do something like that. And so, um, you know, people are expecting you to, to be able to do things like that. And to your point, I think the more skill sets that you can develop whether that's, um, you know, mixing and mastering for others or, you know, learning how to engineer certain things, um, the, the, the better position you're going to be in as a, as a creator. No, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, case in point too, this entire podcast, our, my equipment that I use is about maybe several hundred dollars at most. Like it really isn't that bad for what and I just and the reason why is because uh, uh, some of the equipment was either hand-me-downs or they were gifts or they were um, or I found discount you know when things were certain on discounts I've asked questions around of what I should invest my money into there were like you know even this mic stand that I'm using right now is an old mic stand I got for one of my bands 12 13 years ago but I still had it in my closet. And so I was like, oh yeah, there we go, a mic stand. So I, I found ways and just cobbled everything together so that I could have a high quality podcast. But you don't, you can start off that way and then you can keep on adding and building to it. I've added, in fact, you can see um, in the video um, behind me, there's bass traps. Well, I got those on a ridiculous good deal because I had a buddy who had all these spare ones. And so he you know, give it to me at a ridiculously low price. And now I have it throughout the entire room to, to help with the sound. So, you know, 
there are always ways you can go and figure out how to make it work. So even from an expense standpoint, you can find ways of getting really good deals or finding ways uh, of doing extra work on the side to make some additional cash to go ahead and invest into the equipment to do the audio or to do video or whatever the case is. Yeah. I mean, if you're a Mac user, you know, you get Logic Pro and, and there's literally a session on Logic Pro for Billie Eilish's Ocean Eyes and you just listen to it and it's using all uh, plugins native to Logic. So no additional, or literally. So if you can get a laptop and, you know, a $200 piece of software, uh, you got no excuses because that's essentially what, you know, they used to make a song that launched the biggest artist today. So I, I just, I don't know. It's exciting to me. It's like, it's a little terrifying for some people, but it's exciting too. It's like, you've, there's literally nothing except, you know, time and obviously the ability to support yourself on the side, but all of the extra stuff, the resource, it's just become so much easier to make really competitive content. And I, I think one thing to add to that too, that's important to remember is that just because you create it, um, as I think Jeremy mentioned earlier, no one is out there waiting for it. You still have yeah. to, you have to market it. And that's yeah, the challenge. Tell people. That's the challenge of today. It's um, yes, you, there are, there's an, an incredible amount of amazing content out there, but nobody is going to hear it. If you don't find help, find a marketing partner, uh, find a label um, who's helping with label services, find somebody, whether you're doing it yourself or a partner to help you do it, because um, it will not be heard if you just let it sit there. I totally agree. I mean, the point you mentioned about uh, teams, I will also say put tools into this tool uh, as well. You need tools and you need teams. You need both to help uh, help not only to create what you want to create, but also to to like you said to get it in front of the right people and to launch and to market you need all those things in place now what those things are that defers to every single person so what i always do i always recommend is to write down your strengths and weaknesses and the irony is that it's not just to determine when you're with your weaknesses that that's what you need the most help with in fact in some cases you want to find things that will help amplify your strengths but you should at least be aware what your strengths and weaknesses are because from that point, you can understand when the right opportunities come, who, you know, for your team, where everyone should be positioned. Because I think that's the most important part. It's not even just fulfilling your weaknesses. It's just finding the right team members that really is going to complement what you're doing. And same thing is true with tools. I think that's the yeah. other big thing, too. You can have the, the tool that literally uh, solves the issue of your weakness. But if you don't like that tool... Like you don't like how, you know, you don't like how it's designed. You don't like using it or the tools, you know, tools super buggy or whatever the case is, right? You're not going to want to use that tool, no matter how much it's going to try to solve your problem. So the tool has to be good. And that's the same, same thing too. It's like, let's say you're really, really good at social media, but there's a tool out there that will do it even better. Why not? You know, why not? Why say no? Just because you're really good at it. You can do like you have something out there that can do it even better. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not even about the strengths and weaknesses. It's just finding the right tools and the right team that you know is going to do a good job that you feel confident and comfortable with. Absolutely. Awesome. So uh, anything else before we uh, we wrap this up? I really do appreciate both of your guys' time. 
I think it's all from me. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I'd just say thank you so much for having us on here. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. No, but pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.